The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. Custom software needs vary significantly. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. Harnessing the technical excellence of Bulgaria, MentorMate provides end-to-end software services in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer world-class care through technology. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Medical Alley podcast, the show where we hear from healthcare leaders from across Medical Alley and beyond about the work they are doing to drive the transformation of healthcare. I'm your host, Bobby Patrick, with the Medical Alley Association, and today I'm fortunate to be joined by Kim Kelderman, President, Diagnostics and Genomics for Biotechni, a sustaining member of the Medical Alley Association. We're going to discuss biotechni, its growth strategies, handling post-acquisition integration, and thoughtful and effective approaches to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome, Kim, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Bobby. My pleasure is all mine. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So let's start here. Uh, you know, Biotechni is a company with strong roots in Medical Alley and also perhaps has the best stock symbol uh, on the market, but it has grown and expanded with locations across the country, such as, as California, as well as around the world. Can you give us a brief overview and introduction of what Biotechni is and what it does? Of course. Uh, first off, thanks for the compliments on the stock ticker symbol. Uh, it is indeed tech, T-E-C-H, which, uh, which, which is an honor to own it. Um, and I bet there are plenty of people that, uh, that are investing in tech that, uh, that, should, uh, that do not know about our company, but certainly know about the word. As you mentioned, joking aside, uh, it's a uh, biotech company, fast growing, headquartered in Minneapolis, our CEO is Chuck Cometh. We, uh, we do have 2,600 employees around the world, uh, of which indeed 900 or so are in the Minneapolis area and 500 in California, and then uh, several other hundreds in the US and the rest uh, is overseas. Uh, we do have 35 locations, of which half of those are more or less in the US, but uh, the other half are uh, overseas indeed. Market cap for companies about 15 billion, but as you know, that can swing daily. But fundamentally, our company has uh, two sorts of revenue streams. One is related to instrumentation, services, and royalties, which is about 20% of our revenues. And the other portion, the larger portion, 80% or so, are coming from consumables. And you will get to learn later during this discussion that those consumables are typically products that we sell in any area of the life sciences. And, And therefore, we are truly a a picks and shovel company, if you if you want to think about it that way, involved in, uh, in many 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 businesses. Very good, and and you, you know you alluded to this. You know, you're again you're president of the diagnostics and genomics uh, area for Biotechni. So, can you walk us through your business and, and some of the products, as well as a couple of other key elements of Biotechni's business? Of course. Let me uh, start with uh, uh, telling you that the company is divided in two different segments. Uh, the segment I'm not mentioning, uh, managing is the one that I will start with, which is the protein science segment. In this segment, we basically have two larger groups. One is all the reagent solutions, which are basically biological reagents 
used in all aspects of life sciences that I mentioned earlier. Uh, these are, you should think about proteins, antibodies, etc. And then on the other side, we have analytical solutions. And those are basically protein analysis solutions that improve the quality and of course the efficiency of uh, protein analysis. And these are instruments as well as the different assays, the different tests you run on those instruments. Now in this segment, we also have one vertical market access. And that's a team that's focused on the cell and gene therapy. We'll, we'll touch base later on why we believe uh, cell and gene therapy is so important, but that is uh, indeed an area that we put a vertical market team around. Now, if I then jump to uh, my segment, which is the diagnostics and genomics segments, there are four pillars in there. One business unit is focused on diag diagnostic reagents. So basically those are controls, calibrators, diagnostic assays for the regulated markets. So those are ingredients for any of those tests, COVID tests or any other routine testing that you will get offered through your doctor. And we basically make the components or the ingredients or even the assays for those markets. Then we have a group that is very focused on tissue analysis. So anything around tissue and biopsy. This is mainly based around the ACD brand, an acquisition we did about four years ago. And this technology allows us to look at single cell, single molecule resolution uh, while maintain, maintaining a spatial context, meaning you see the 3D structures and how all the different molecules are interacting, which is very important to, to understand the mechanism of actions of uh, medications and or uh, different uh, metabolisms. So, the third business is all around liquid biopsy. You know that tissue is not always an easy sample to obtain. Liquid biopsy is much easier, right? So any liquid, including blood or sputum, we can isolate out of these liquids and interrogate exosomes. So exosomes are tiny vesicles that cells shed during their normal life cycle. So they don't have to die before, before they shed those exosomes, such as which is happening usually with cell-free DNA. But they shed these all the time. And in those little vesicles, we have high quality information such as DNA, RNA, and even proteins. By interrogating those little vesicles, we have a real nice platform for very early detection of the diseases. The very first product on market is Epi, which is basically a prostate cancer test. And we have a very exciting pipeline with all kinds of exosome-based testing that we are in having in development. And uh, the next product out is highly likely going to be a kidney rejection test, which also allows early detection of uh, kidneys that are being rejected by the patient. Now, last but not least is our Assurgen business unit. Uh, that's an acquisition from last quarter. It's basically a business that has uh, very uh, powerful products for diagnostic purposes in genetic screening carrier screening, as well as in oncology. So that complements in total a very nicely fitting synergistic collection of businesses to form this segment. Those are some really cool products that you have coming down the line for sure. And, and I will say, I really appreciate how you sort of walked through the, the science behind it and, and, and made it understandable. It's uh, it can be a really dense topic area, uh, although, you know, extremely fascinating, extremely forward-looking and you did a nice job of explaining that. So, so really appreciate that. And so maybe let's pivot away from the science and then into, you know, the business strategy as a whole. So, you know, biotechnology, as you just laid out, has a, a diverse set of businesses. And it's essential for companies to have a focused key growth strategy to drive its business forward. 
So can you can you talk us through how Biotechni approaches this? Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, Biotechni basically has four key strategies for sustained growth and synergies. First off, which uh, which has been uh, a very powerful strategy for us, is the geographic expansion. There's still room to grow, and it's not uh, a, a uncommon strategy for mid-sized companies. It's basically just covering more parts of the world directly to uh, to sell through your products. Core to our fundamentals uh, is the uh, is the innovation. So we continue to innovate our platforms, uh, of which I just walked you through a couple of those, and we continue to innovate in those platforms and, and build more products, but we also try to cross-link the different platforms and create exciting new products uh, through innovation. Now, as you mentioned, there are always opportunities where you need more market access or more technologies, and that's when we apply M&A. And uh, we, we continue to, uh, to deploy M&A as a strategy. And then last but not least is always very important are the people. So we do uh, focus on culture, culture creation, and of course our talent and uh, retention thereof. So those are the four strategies for, for biotechnology there. Great. So, so let's dig into a couple of those a little bit more. And, and let's maybe start with the last one you mentioned, culture and talent. You know, again, earlier you mentioned that biotechnology has locations around the globe and uh, you know, a tremendous amount of talented individuals are need, needed to, to continue moving the company forward and driving the, the growth and the science and, and, and everything that the company's doing. So two questions here, you know, and, and maybe I'll just, we'll ask one at a time. So let's start with this. You know, how does the company approach talent acquisition on a global scale? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I, I wish I had the uh, all-encompassing answer, but um, we basically looked at it uh, from from uh, from a different locations. So we do have a centralized talent acquisition team in Minneapolis, which has really helped all the U.S. subsidiaries to hire the best available talent, and it's proven to be very effective. Uh, however, of course, this this approach is relatively local to the U.S. So a more scalable principle that we've implemented is that we do have a referral fee mechanism where we, we ask our employees to tap into their networks and, and to colleagues they have worked with and we're impressed with. And this of course works in most any country, right? And then underlying to that for us is that uh, Chuck Cometh has always believed in building local teams, even overseas, right? So by building local teams that come from reputable companies with good networks, we have been able to kind of externally, organically grow by, by attracting other talents through our own networks, uh, through our own uh, employees. And of course, there are the exceptions where we have to go external and use, use recruiters, but we have been really uh, successful in, uh, in utilizing our own networks so far. That's very interesting. And so, you know, taking those strategies and then applying that to your company culture, how do you maintain a, a consistent company culture across uh, those all those worldwide locations? Yeah, I think that uh, a consistent culture is probably not our goal, right? So because different countries, different groups, different locations might have different micro-cultures, if you will. However, we do apply uh, guiding principles to all our employees because at the end of the day, we want to belong together within biotechnology. And, and that's a big 
a big uh, uh, goal of ours to belong uh, together and to belong within biotechnology. And we basically look there also at four, uh, four pillars. And uh, the acronym we call EPIC. And that is because the E of it stands for empowerment. So we really believe in releasing the potential of every individual and uh, develop people and uh, provide the right tools so everybody can be their very best at work, right? The P stands for passion. Uh, we come to work and we want to give it our everything, uh, make work enjoyable, and uh, know why your work is important. So we communicate that regularly. And then, as I mentioned earlier, innovation. Uh, we all want to make something brilliant. Uh, make sure that you allow for taking risks, specifically risks that are worth worth taking, right? And then imagine the possibilities, uh, specifically when we tie together all those different technologies that we own. And then last but not least, the C, uh, collaboration. Build positive relationship, uh, share your information and your knowledge in order to win, and then connect across boundaries. And that way we can become one big family and, and that way we, uh, we, will, uh, we will work uh, together to, uh, to outperform. Very interesting. The piece you mentioned about the microcultures within like the overall culture is really interesting. And I, and I think that's really important, you know, for, for companies that are stretched across the globe, right, is to, to embrace where they are and then to, to follow like that, the high level, uh, you know, guiding principles for, for maintaining that. That's, that seems to be something that works really well. So uh, inter interesting take from Biotechnics approach. So uh, let's let's move on to the next one. Merger and acquisition was another strategy that you mentioned, and this is a significant one for biotechnology. You know, one of the challenges through mergers and acquisition is integration of people and technology and processes, uh, which is paramount to uh, the acquisition being uh, a success and enabling the company to grow. So talk to us, Kim, about how you approach integrating a new acquisition into your business and what have you learned from the experiences you've had so far? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very good question. I, let me start off with that M&A has been a substantial growth driver for us, right? And we, we have utilized the process to get to, uh, into new markets, to access new technologies. And, uh, and of course, this has provided us the opportunity to, uh, to deploy those those uh, those technologies and even cross-link them for better solutions. We have a great great track record in M&A, and it's because we are just well connected. We have a very disciplined M&A approach. Uh, we are lightning fast in doing due diligence and decision making, and and our uh, our senior leadership team has uh, is of course very experienced. We did about sixteen acquisitions in eight years. So that comes to to your question that. You know how do how do we make them successful? And it's obviously a very much studied conundrum of how to integrate successfully acquired companies. And we have experimented around, to be honest. Uh, we've we've certainly waited uh, with a new acquisition and tried to wait for a couple of years and and leave them alone and slowly integrate, which which didn't really give us the desired results. We also have tried to integrate very quickly. And this can result in an overload for the new team. So there was really not a cookie cutter approach. So what we are doing now is we basically look at uh, every target individually and then, and then have a tailor-made, very specific integration plan that we make. And we make those integration plans with owners from Biotechni as well as from the new target. 
and then uh, create work streams for marketing, finance, HR, and any of the other functions. And then make sure that we do not overload the new team, but that, uh, uh, and that we also do not run conflicting processes at the same time, right? So you don't wanna change your salesforce.com instance while you're working on a financial system change, right? So we layer them nicely in. Um, and that's, that's, that's concept of integration is generally applicable, but we do tailor make it to every, every different company. So uh, that's really insightful. So let me ask, just build on that. So again, you've done a number of these, you know, what is one or two things that, you know, a company really needs to keep in the forefront when they're, when they're integrating an acquisition? Yeah, I, uh, again, it's a much studied uh, uh, conundrum, right? I, uh, I, I think we're doing a real nice job and, and that's by, uh, by taking a very, uh, very tailored approach. I think that companies should not just uh, deploy a cookie cutter process. If you think about the different targets you we've bought, right? They're very often at a different stage of the life cycle of a company. So you have companies that are one or two people, uh, very early stage, are R&D technology focused. Some of them make it to a small business where there are three to 15 people and, and they're trying to, to have a vision and, and then eventually you go to the larger one to five, one to $20 million revenue companies that have about a hundred, hundred or so people in there. And eventually those companies mature, right? And, and each and any of those would have to have a different approach to it. If I translate it in just how, how a company comes about, you, you typically have a founder or a group of founders that have a eureka moment and they have a great idea. At some point, this idea needs to be further developed and, and you hire more R&D people. And eventually, uh, these beautiful designs need to get manufactured and you start hiring a manufacturing team and you validate your processes. Then this product, well, after being manufactured, needs to get sold. So you start uh, building out your commercial team. This commercial team needs marketing support, pricing, branding, etc. And eventually, you also tippy toe into you know quality processes, HR processes, uh, financial processes. So so you mature that way as a company, and and the stage you're in is really basing how fast or how gentle you have to be around the integration. As I mentioned, culture people, some of the processes are very common ingredients for integration, but uh, with our tailored process, we totally look at, does the company also need to make a journey in regulatory quality process? Does this company have to suddenly make a huge jump into SOX compliance and financial regulations? Legal contracts are going to have to be tighter. There's higher risk around HR processes, safety procedures. So, so if you really think about integration, yes, there are the normal uh, conducts to, to eventually come together and harmonize, but there's also a huge time warp for the acquired team to suddenly be a public company and to be, to be under much more risk-averse uh, uh, conditions. So it's truly an a accelerated process that we kind of separate those two and, uh, and make sure that we don't overload the target and, and we make sure that, um, that we, uh, we unlock synergies really. So my advice to your question would be to not hard code a certain culture or hard code, force feed a new team with substantial new growth hurdles and, 
and shove it in all at the same time in the first year, that typically results in frustrations and, and the new team stumbling into, uh, into problems as well as uh, work overload. So going back to my, my philosophy of layering it in and making sure you, you separate the uh, integration process from the maturing process and do both in harmony, that's really the, the secret sauce for us. Very good. Very good. And so this next question, I'm gonna, we're sort of going to come full circle on this conversation. So, you know, we've spent, we spent time talking about, you know, discussing and maintaining company culture through acquisitions and how that's a challenge. And, you know, another piece to maintaining company culture is an inclusive work environment that values diversity and equity and is thoughtful and intentional about providing that environment and the resources necessary to foster it, you know, and not just with new employees, but with acquired companies as well. And so, you know, how does biotechnology go about doing this? And, you know, what advice would you give to other medical alley leaders as they organize and evaluate their internal DEI initiatives? Thank you for the question. It's, it's, uh, it's obviously a very broad topic. Uh, fundamentally, Chuck, Chuck Cometh and the team uh, are doing a real good job in communicating, right? So we, we specifically, specifically now under the pandemic, we've, we've gotten really savvy at uh, sending out regular videos. We do a quarterly global on-hands meeting to communicate uh, where we are. We study employee involvement through surveys and have very targeted actions to drive the improvement uh, thereof. HR is hosting a bi-weekly management call where there's about 250 or so mid-level managers that talk about a variety of issues and opportunities across the company. Um, additionally, we have very successfully deployed very inspiring employee resource groups that are uh, bubbling in activity and it's great to see. And uh, those are just basically the biotechnology fundamentals. I, I personally have two guiding principles to drive uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, first off, uh, each time I acquire a new business or I join a new business that happens regularly, I do not surround myself with people that I've already worked with or people that I know from other places. You know how some leaders rebuild former teams and rehire people that they're comfortable with. Uh, this usually creates a management clique, if you will, like a, a tightened group, and that in the, and that in return creates virtual walls for the existing com, uh, employees that feel excluded, right? And and those those management cliques are usually stuck in time and specifically in their thinking. So uh, even though it might be more uncomfortable, I do you know join a team and then observe, support, and understand the team dynamics and the individual capabilities of the team members. And then some point in time, I'll do a thorough organizational capability assessment and then share this with the team. And you know, I know that most of those team members, the leadership members are hired against a job description. And those are usually describing the academic background you need or your experience or your tenure. But um, I layer on top an extra set of criteria and I call that the five characteristics of the candidate. Five characteristics of the candidate usually gives, gives, gives me some extra time to think about what I really want if it comes to additional aspects of, of a person and role. So I, I use those five criteria uh, to hire or promote uh, people. And it's basically thinking about demographics, 
uh, how does a certain role or person should be should be thinking is do you need an analytical thinker do you need a blue sky thinker should a person be strategic or action oriented and and even to the level of where has this person lived right um, i prefer people that have lived over various continents specifically if they have global roles so those are some examples but i i basically layer those characteristics on and use them as a guidance for hiring and that way, I do not only assure that an individual is fit for the job, but I also assure that every team has additional benefits by complementing each other in style and demographic background, as well as thinking. And, and this really unlocks an additional power of diversity. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. So, Kim, last question. Where do you see the most growth happening within the biotechnology industry over the next five years? And what impact is that going to have on patients? Good. Let me let me reflect that question on biotechnology. First off, I think our platforms in in uh, in, in proteomics and spatial genomics that I mentioned earlier, the exosomes business, the genetic testing and oncology are all very promising technologies themselves. Right. When we have critical market share, meaning we're like in in the ten percent range with some of those. And that means there's still tremendous runway for us to grow in those markets that already exist and that are growing very fast themselves. Now, there's also, of course, opportunity in combining our technologies, and I'm specifically thinking about multiomic solutions, which are very promising. But most and foremost, like I mentioned at the beginning, we do have a vertical market team around cell and gene therapy. Uh, we all know that there is a tremendous effort going on in this, in this area. There are about 2,600 cell and gene therapies under development right now globally. And, and that means that this will change healthcare also uh, worldwide. This will have a great impact on various diseases and specifically oncology, if you think about it. So this vertical market is very important to us. Uh, and we are, we are tying several of our technologies that we have in-house directly to the workflow of cell and gene therapy and trying to build out a whole workflow so that we can serve those customers. To underscore and, and validate how serious we are about this initiative, I can tell you that two quarters ago, we opened a 61,000 square foot GMP protein factory in the Minneapolis area. And um, yeah, we're very serious about this uh, this new field. It's, uh, it's very promising for... Uh, from a business point of view, as well as for the patient's point of view. That's great. Yeah. And I know we're, you know, we're really excited to, to see that new facility open and are really excited at the uh, potential for not only what that technology can do, but for potential growth, not just for biotechnology, but for the biotechnology uh, industry as a whole in this area and led by, uh, you know, one of our longest tenured biotech companies, if not the longest tenured biotech company in the state. So Thanks for raising that. That uh, was really exciting for us. So, Kim, this has been an, a, a very enjoyable conversation for me. Uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, you did, you did. A, I thought you did a great job of explaining the the science uh, very understandably. So, I I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much from my side as well, and uh, and have have a great day. Great, and and thank you everyone for listening, and please join us again soon for another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast.